Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. When it comes to stealing, the human mind can be so creative, it would be impossible to write enough laws to prevent it in all its forms. There are flagrant, aggressive ways to steal and subtle, passive ways. Some types are obvious, while others could never be proven in a court of law because they depend on hidden attitudes of the heart. Who's to say a misleading statement was intentional or that a person did or didn't work as diligently as possible on a project? or whether a neighbor really forgot to return a borrowed item. So when it comes right down to it, the only person who can make me obey this eighth commandment is me. And the biggest problem I face is convincing myself I want to obey it. In practice, honesty can be a very costly path to take. It will force me to turn down certain opportunities to take something I want. It will force me to work hard and be patient. It will make me put the needs of others ahead of my own. And while those choices sound good in principle, they can be very frustrating to live out in daily life. Refusing to steal may sound like a noble ideal, but unless I'm convinced God loves me and will do miracles to provide for me, I will soon find myself coming up with excuses for breaking this commandment. What must I believe? That God loves me and will do miracles to provide for me. I, I want you to really get a hold of this. This is, a, this is a corrupt world we live in. You'll hear people say, everybody does it, and maybe everybody doesn't, but an awful lot do. And in business, I mean, many businesses will say, I can't even compete in this business unless I do some dishonest business practices. Everybody I'm dealing with, everybody I'm competing against is doing that. And so if you are going to walk an honest life, If you're going to have impeccable honesty before God, you'll have to believe that he'll do a miracle. Walking honestly, not stealing, isn't simply a thing you just kind of, a self-control issue where you're stopping yourself from stealing. This this is something that takes faith to do. You've got to believe God will be with you in this. And I'm going to say in strongest terms, he will. You can walk in a miracle, I'm telling you in your personal life with this. It forces me to choose between God and wealth and decide who I love the most. Let's first of all define stealing. I define it this way, providing for myself by depriving someone else of something that belongs to them. Now underscore the words providing for myself. You see, that's really the heart of stealing. I feel responsible to provide for myself. The yoke is on my shoulders. It's my job to provide. If I don't, nobody else will. And so I'm bearing that responsibility. And I'm willing to do it by taking what you have because I need it. So I'm willing to deprive you. And I'm taking responsibility to provide for myself. The object I need becomes more important to me than the person who owns it. I become focused on my needs. Why does God forbid stealing? Well, he's trying to teach us two important lessons. Who remembers what that is? The entire Old Testament is trying to teach two basic lessons. What are they? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Romans, Paul is going to say this very thing. Beginning at verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then in Matthew 7, Jesus says this, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And then he, he sums it up and says, For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, 
This love is what all the Old Testament is trying to accomplish in us who read it. We call that the golden rule, don't we? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I'm supposed to care for you and treat you the way I would want you to treat me. And so stealing, taking from you, obviously just violates that right away. Not only am I not doing that, but I think God wants us to go beyond simply respecting the rights of others. He wants us to rejoice when others are blessed. See, he wants me to love you. A parent, I think, can often, when their children have something good happen to them or prosper in some way, they're thrilled. They can finally move out of the house, you know, that kind of thing. No. <laughs> but, but you really feel joyful. You know, somebody gets a promotion, somebody gets something like that, it's like, yeah. Why? Because you love them. They're yours. They're your kids. And, you, you know, you're just rooting for them all the way. That's the way God wants us to feel about everybody. Well, I would say everybody, but, but certainly certain people. I'm supposed to rejoice when some prosper, but frankly, I'm not thrilled that, that Arafat has a billion dollars in the Cayman Islands. That doesn't thrill me because he's stolen it from the Palestinian people. So we're not talking about that kind of, of, of prospering. But when others prosper, I should rejoice when it's done honestly and, and, and it's the blessing of God. I should really be glad for them. Not competitive, not jealous, not envious. I should enjoy that and be glad. And I think God wants this thing to not only be a matter of what I don't do, that I don't steal, I think God wants it in a positive, proactive sense in which I give. He would like you and me to be a source of giving to others, a source of blessing, not simply people who don't steal. You see that? We're talking about God bringing us to a place of loving. Now, there are many ways to steal. I'll just run down this little list quickly. There's robbery. That's where you hold somebody up with a gun and take their horse. There's burglary. Uh, that's when you take stuff when they're asleep or not looking. There's shoplifting. You go into a store and walk out with something you didn't pay for. Pilfering at work. That means you take stuff that belongs to your employer. You take it home and keep it. Ta tax evasion. Uh, we all know what that is. Uh, plagiarism. You take ideas and words from other people and don't give them credit. Cheating on exams, you're taking somebody else's place in the, in the class ranking. Uh, you're stealing a place that doesn't belong to you. Permanent borrowing, don't you love that? <laughs> I tell you, when people say, can I borrow a book, I just start twitching. Man, no, no, you can't. Get away from my books. Because people always say, oh, man, I promise I bring it back. And some do it. Uh, but I can never remember who I loaned it to. And then I go for that book and it's, gone and I can't remember who I gave you know it's yeah, so uh, permanent borrowing if you got any of my books bring them back <laughs> and, and by the way if I have any of yours <laughs> tell me because I yes I do have one of yours and I will get it back <laughs> I always ask people put your name in this thing because I won't remember I'm serious if I have your stuff let me know please Freeloading, you know, you land on somebody and refuse to work. Yeah, it's a form of stealing. Lying or hiding the truth to sell a product. Uh, business people run into ethics all the time. You know, how do I do this? I, I can think of one, uh, one friend of mine, and uh, he had to change his entire, uh, he, he's a salesman, and he was selling a product, and he was a very, very successful at it and, and basically a decent man. If you'd have said, is this guy dishonest or something like that? No. He was doing basically kind of industry standards on this thing. And, and uh, we had an LTG and we were going through Proverbs, I think it was. And nobody said a word to him. It was just the Holy Spirit. And, and he finally says, he says, man, I, says, I, I, I cannot continue to sell my product the way I'm doing. He said, I'm having people buy stuff. I know how to sell and I can get people to buy stuff that I don't think they need. And so he says, I've got to stop this. And so he began to be impeccably honest in the way he sold. Have you seen the movie Liar, Liar? I haven't, but I know that, I understand the theme of it is, is the guy just can't do anything but tell the truth? Well, that's what he'd do. He'd say, oh, you don't need this. You know, no, no, this is way too expensive for you. You don't need this. You know, and so he's talking people out of his product. Well, after a while, the income went down. And uh, he said, I have got to get into another, another line of products that I can fully believe in because I can't continue to sell this line 
ethically. It's not working. So he did. He, he changed his whole career, his, his whole directions, and is now in a product that he believes in fully and is able to sell it in full conscience and, and is doing fine. But this business of, of, of lying or hiding the truth to sell a product, you know, man, that's a real pressure on businesses and on people who are in business. Casual bankruptcy. There's nothing wrong with bankruptcy when you've honestly become bankrupt. That's part of the mercy of the, of the American law, which is modeled on the Sabbath forgiveness of the Bible. So it's perfectly appropriate, but some people run those bills right up to the, to the limit knowing they plan to go bankrupt. That's thievery. Being wasteful of an employer's resources, you know, just wasting uh, stuff, that's, that's a form of theft. Paying unjust wages, uh, paying your, your, your employees too little, exploiting them because you, because you know they need a job. That's theft. Usury is um, charging too much interest. Uh, the Bible would say anything over 12% is usury. It's a sin. Idleness at work. You're being at played hours, but uh, you're playing solitaire on the computer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one thing. It's your lunch break. It's another thing during your working hours. I mean, that one's theft, one's, one's simply recreation during your break. I, uh, identity theft, etc. People usually, when they steal come up with excuses to justify. Most people don't say, hey, I'm just, I'm bad. They, they all want to say, well, yes, I know I'm doing this, however. And they then come up with a justification. And I've got several here that I've heard a lot. Uh, one is this, somebody's got to look out for me. If I don't, nobody else will. People here think they live, this group of people feel like they live in the, in the jungle. And they, they have to fight the survival of the fittest. And they'll say, I, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. I've got to do this. I'm a survivor. I remember one guy saying to me, I'm a scrambler. And what he meant is when if there's a ball on the field, I'm going to scramble and get it away from whomever I have to. He was an elder in the church, and he was a real estate agent, and he rented us a house, man. I tell you, that guy took us for a ride. You know, isn't that shocking when you run into people that are, are church people, and yet they've, they've so modified their ethics that they are just as big a thief, maybe bigger, than some of the people that aren't Christians. This is a terrible scandal. The world watches this and spots it in a heartbeat. There's one here, uh, life hasn't treated me fairly, so I have to level the pay playing field. These people are involved in, in, in self-justice. I, I, I only take what life owes me. People steal from me, so I figure this evens the score. Rules were made by people. Here's a classist talking. People, rules were made by people who want to keep all the good stuff for themselves. Only losers play by the rules. See? And so really what I am is, is, a, is a radical revolutionary. Don't think of me as a thief. Think of me as somebody who's striking a blow against the exploitive Polit no, the, yeah, the, 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 uh, I'm trying to get into some communist jargon here, if I could, <laughs> against the proletariat is where I was at it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're just stealing. You see, the point is, all of these things come back to me. I will level, of, I will justify, I will provide, I will handle. You've taken upon yourself God's role. That's the problem. Whenever we do what God's supposed to do, that's where we get in trouble. Here's one. How can this be wrong when it feels so right? Can't you hear the music now? <laughs> Self-promotion. You got a group of people who, for whom right means stuff that feels good and I need. Wrong is stuff that hurts me. Everything is really defined about what it does for me. It's called narcissism. Uh, is really the, the point. My world revolves around me, so right, good things are things that help me, bad things are things that don't help me. Narcissus was, a, in ancient mythology, was a, a fellow who was so handsome, and he, I can still remember the pictures in my, in my mythology books at high school, sitting on a rock, looking into this still water at his beautiful reflection, and falling in love with himself. <laughs> and every time he would reach out and try to embrace himself, it'd be just water and his heart was broken. And so you go in this terrible cycle. He's always on that rock loving himself. <laughs> it's Narcissus. So some people, it's the simple standard is uh, whatever's good for me is good. 
I don't have to go any farther than that. That is a, it's a, actually a, a sociopathic tendency. Or, I need it now, I don't have time to wait. This is the thing of impatience. Hard work and honesty will take too long. So I've, I'll be so old, by then it won't matter anymore. <laughs> if I wait to earn it honestly, I'll be so old, who'll care? Well, actually, that's the point. When you don't care is when you can be trusted with riches. As long as you long for it, you're a drug addict. And this stuff is the most potent drug on the market. It's worse than heroin. It's worse than anything else. It's a potent drug. To obey this commandment, we are forced to choose between two mutually exclusive roads to prosperity. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes you'll say, well, okay, you're trying to tell me that if I try to get stuff in this life, uh, that's bad. But if I, if I follow God and, and live a poor, miserable life, just scraping it out, and then God will be happy with me. Is that where you're going with this? No, I'm saying there's two roads to prosperity. And you will choose one of them. You have no options. Every person will choose. Remember that old song, you take the high road. And I'll take the low road. And I'll get to Scotland before you. There's two roads. There's a high road and a low road to Scotland. And the low road gets there quicker. You will choose one of these roads. One road relies on self. The other road relies on God. One road seeks fulfillment here on earth. I want as much stuff and comfort and happiness here on this planet as I can get. One road seeks eternal life above all else. One seeks to promote self. I want status wealth. I want big houses. I want big cars. I want fancy clothes. I want people to admire me. It's about me. Climbing to the top of the pile and proving myself. That's what it's about. And one road seeks to glorify God. You will not take both. They, go, they, they diverge in a yellow wood and they go two different directions and you will not straddle both those roads. You will pick one or the other. And, and don't think for a second that just because people go to church, they pick the high road. There are many people who go to, have been in church so much they look like a pipe organ. I mean, they've just, they are churchy, churchy, churchy. <laughs> Woo-ha. Leaders in the church. They've been in the church. But frankly, their heart and their love is entirely tied up with this planet. I'll tell you where you really see it is when people get near death. I had somebody from another religion challenge me one time. And they said, you know, if Christians believe in the resurrection, if you really believe in life after death like you say you do, why are you guys so afraid when you die? She, she was a nurse. She says, People in my religion aren't afraid. Why are you Christians so afraid to die? I thought you believed in the resurrection. You know what? She's got us right on. She's, what she's pointing out is many people say they do, but they don't really. They don't really believe in it. It's, they kind of hope it's there. But frankly, their world is here. And they're trying to postpone and forget about anything beyond that and have as much pleasure and as much Fulfillment here in their little nest on earth. There's two roads, folks. There are just two roads, and you pick one or you pick the other. But Jesus says it as clearly as he can. You, you won't have both. Luke 16, 13, he says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Say that with me. You cannot serve God and wealth. So the heart issue, when we get down to stealing this whole subject, we really are right down to this very subject. Who am I serving? Who am I serving? Am I serving God or am I serving wealth? Now I'm going to give you now uh, seven steps or seven principles by which God would prosper us. You see, he does have a way of prospering us. God is our provider. He is our source. 
When I follow God and walk with God in his ways, there's a blessing that comes over my life. And so we're not talking about one miserable way of following God. The cross is a whole other subject. Living, you know, dying and serving Jesus Christ are choices we make to serve him and put aside our own. That's a one kind of thing. But it is not a life in which he simply wants his people impoverished and miserable. That is not a goal of God's. So there's a provision, there's a prosperity actually in the Lord. Now here are the principles that I believe are essential to it. Number one, faith. And what I don't mean is claiming your blessing. What, what I mean by that is obeying God's plan. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it says in Matthew 6, when we put those things on our top priority, when those become the goal of my life, then he says, he will add unto me all the things I need. So the orientation of my heart is absolutely critical. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian and these promises don't seem to be working for me. Well, I can tell you why. Going to church, saying you believe things like you believe in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, those, I mean, that is not a Christian. A Christian's a born-again man or woman, and part of that is giving your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's a sellout. It's a sellout. And when you do that, then the, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, they do work. All of the promises work. Abundant and beyond what you could ask or think. But they don't work for nominal Christians, the lukewarm people. They just don't because they weren't meant for you. They work. Grace means we go to heaven by faith in Christ alone. Blessing means the power of God enters my, my daily life. Now, there's a lot of people that just, they, they got the faith, they go, you know, they're just hanging on and they're going to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. How many of you think it would be nice to also have the blessings of God in your present life? Amen. I do. I want them both. I want God's blessing on my family. I want God's blessing on my marriage. I want God's blessing on my children. I want God's blessing on my finances. I want, I want God's blessing on everything I do. And I want to go to heaven, you betcha. And, and I understand I'm going to heaven by faith in Christ alone, but I understand this, that the blessings require obedience. You get blessed by walking in God's ways. You go to heaven by believing in Christ alone. Do you see the difference? It's really important to get that because a lot of people think, I'm a Christian, how come it's not all happening? I can tell you why it's not happening, I just did. When you say, Father, my life is to serve you, I'm, that's what I'm all about, and you mean it, then the Lord will guide you. I mean, he'll give you specific things that require faith to obey. I had just graduated from seminary, and I, I think I worked one more year in the church I was in, and then we received a call to a church in San Diego. It's Mary and me and my, my little one-year-old daughter, Sarah. On the way down to San Diego, we were moving down to San Diego, uh, the Lord's spoke to me on the, on, the, on the drive and he said, I want you to buy a house when you get here. I said, I don't want a house. I said, I'm young and hip. But at least that's what I thought. I'm young, I'm hip, that's for old people, I'll handle it later. And you got to understand my mindset. I was waiting, I mean, I was going to get raptured next week anyhow, so I mean, what was the point of having a house? You remember? <laughs> and uh, I am going to get raptured someday, I hope. But uh, I, I, I remember a friend of mine, I wasn't even going to go to seminary. Uh, I decided, I'm, you know, Lord, there's not enough time. And I had a dear friend, he's a spirit-filled Methodist evangelist, and he came to me and said, I want you to go to seminary. I said, I don't want to be in the library when Jesus comes back. <laughs> he didn't flinch. He just looked at me kind of like, hey, kid. He said, go to seminary. And you know something I submitted? Tell you, you save yourself a lot of trouble by submitting. Yeah. All right, I'll go. And of course, he was correct, and I'm very grateful I obeyed him and followed his counsel. Well, I'm on the way down to San Diego, and the Lord says, buy a house. I don't want to buy a house. We got a rental, first off, and it was, had a flea infestation. You ever been in one of those? They're amazing. What a biological phenomenon. When, 
when you take the host animal out of the thing, which had been a German shepherd, and these fleas are starving, they go into some sort of frenzy. And uh, we came into this thing, and my wife, within a few days, counted on her body 150 flea bites. And then we've got our little baby in the pen, and she's covered with flea bites. I mean, it was wild. Talk about the Lord not blessing that move. And, and, and so we went house hunting. And I, I bought a house. Little did I know that it was, it was before the housing prices skyrocketed in San Diego. I mean, just before it. So we buy this thing, and then boom, up it went. I mean, the house just a huge increase in a matter of just every month. It was just bong, 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 just going up like that. So that when we left, you know, four years later, we had this sizable equity that God had given us. We then turned around and went and planted a church. But we bought a new home, and that went up again. Here I have, no, you know, I'm, I have no salary, but I can have a house for my family. You see? And then when we went to, when we went to uh, teach in Los Angeles, the, the salary was just a few thousand dollars over the national poverty level. And I got three children at this time. But I put the, the, the equity in T-bills, and the interest, that time was 10% interest. And so this thing is paying my rent so that I can have a home for my children while I'm teaching in the inner city. And then we go and plant a church in Arizona and we take that and we cash, put it in and I've got a house in Arizona when I plant a church there. What I'm telling you is, he says, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, I will add to you all you need. Amen. He does. I'm just telling you this thing works. But you'll notice there was an obedience step of faith. I had to do what I was told to do for that thing to be released. Secondly, honesty. Relying on God's blessing. Honesty, in my opinion, is a precondition for God's blessing. His blessing is worth far more than any advantage gained by dishonesty. You can't steal enough to make it worth losing the blessing of God. And I do believe that God lifts his blessing. He's, he watches how you handle your pennies. And he lifts his blessing when there is dishonesty because it proves your heart is corrupt and that money is a drug to you. Money is a dangerous commodity you not, are not healthy enough to handle. And so he lifts his blessing off of you. When God blesses you, it says he gives you to you and he adds no sorrow. So the blessing of God has no sorrow. The Proverbs say, though, stolen food has gravel in it. In other words, there's, there's this trouble, there's a, there's a judgment that comes with stolen stuff. See, money isn't just money. There's blessed money, and there's actually money that's judgmental money. And then I suppose there's just plain old dollar bills. You want blessed money. I'm serious. There's a power to it. There's an anointing on it. God actually helps you and uses it. His blessing is worth far more than any advantage. We must refuse to do anything that would jeopardize this blessing. Turn to Luke chapter 16. I want you to see some powerful words of the Lord. Luke 16, verse 10. He says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. God watches the little things. He watches the pennies and the dimes. He watches those little moments when you're making a quick decision about will I be honest? Will I return this money that the cashier just gave me too much change? Will I take it back? He watches those events. Verse 11, look what it says. Therefore, if you have not been unfaithful, pardon me, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, if you haven't handled your money honestly, who will entrust true riches to you? First of all, spiritual authority, but probably more finances so that you can, you can use it. He decides whether he'll trust dollars to us by the way we handle our pennies. I wish I could just, I don't know how to, how to make, say this strongly enough. 
you lose far more than you'll ever gain by theft. And you gain huge amounts by honesty. When it particularly as it's done in faith before God. How many times have I gotten change back too much or something? I'll walk back to the cashier and I'll say, you, you gave me too much. And they look at you like you're off of the planet Mars. And I'm not trying to be some little goody, two-shoes, pious person. I understand what I'm telling you right now. Ain't no way this 20 bucks you gave me is going to take away my blessing. I've given back a whole lot more than that. Because I understand the principle I'm telling you. There's a real principle here. I have been the senior pastor of a church for 25 years or more. I've pastored for longer than that. I've pastored for 30-some. But I've been the senior pastor since I was the, the, the pioneer pastor in Oak Harbor. And so 25 years I've been responsible for a budget, for the church budget. Each month we have a report we send to the denomination, etc., etc. In 25 years of pastoring, our churches have never been in the red except one month. And that was because we were building in Oak Harbor and the contractor made a mistake and suddenly presented us with a $7,000 bill that he didn't tell us we had coming. And we caught us totally off guard. And we didn't even say anything to the congregation. We just prayed. Next month we were $4,000 in the good. Now I don't even know how he did that. It's $11,000 difference. He just did it. Listen to what I just told you. I'm not boasting about my financial capacities. They're very poor. I'm telling you the principle works. 25 years. Now you hear churches always wringing their hands for money. Oh, we're going under folks. Send in your dollars. <laughs> and you know I don't shake you down for money, do I? Right. I mean, when was the last time you had one of these bring your dollars up here, you know, stuff and... Not enough. Let's take another offering. <laughs> you haven't done that, have you? We just built the building and the whole thing. You didn't do that, did you? You know why? Because we don't need to. When you please the Lord, he handles it. It works. I'm telling you, this stuff works. When you please him, he will bless you. He says, if you seek my kingdom, I will provide what you need. And I got, I got a couple of decades now that says it's true. Absolutely true. Hard work is another principle. Believe it or not, it's a gift of God in this fallen time. After Adam and Eve sinned, God gave three gifts to help us not be destroyed by sin. One was death. We wouldn't let this thing go on forever. Won't talk about that. One was the promise of a, of a savior. He said the seed of a woman will crush the head of the serpent. And one was hard work. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat. We need to be working hard. It's not a curse. It's actually a gift of God in this cursed earth. Look at the societies where there is high unemployment. You see it all the time on television. There are those riots and crowds where everybody seems to have nothing to do all day but burn rubber tires. Right? I mean, you're watching it. It's tragic. What, these, what you have is, is societies in which 90% of the men, in some cases, have no work at all. They're just sitting out on the streets talking. And so somebody gives them a cause, and they're out there just shooting and throwing rocks and burning tires because they've got nothing to do. Idle mind is the devil's workshop. When you and I have nothing to do, too much time on our hands, we get in trouble. And so hard work is one of the things that God wants and blesses. We should be hard workers, faithful workers. That, th these principles I'm going through right now, if you're going you're to recognize them. They're the, they're the value system of a bygone generation. These were the things that my grandfather understood intuitively and his generation did. I remember my grandfather saying, if a man's word's no good, the man's no good. I mean, and they believed that. You know, your word's as good as your bond. You don't even have, you, if I shake on it, you, I'll die before I'll break that promise. I mean, that's the way they used to live. 
Sure, there have always been horse thieves. But the basic tenor of the society was built on that kind of thing, hard work. They used to say a, a day's work for a, day, for a dollar. You know, I mean, what was it? Uh, they, they, were, they just understood you worked hard. You were an honest person. There was a pride in the way you, you worked. And Man, I, I sure miss that, that, that old generation as they've passed away. You'd have work days. I'd come out with these old guys, and they'd work like a trooper. It's a little different nowadays <laughs> for some. But we've got some great workers too. We do. And we're learning. In this age, we need to be working hard. Number four, patience. There's two roads. There's a high road and a low road. And there's a fast road and a slow road. And God's ways to prosper you is slow. He, he grows you. He matures you. He changes you so that when the prosperity is there, it doesn't destroy you. When people get rich quick, what happens? Look at the rock groups. Look at the movie stars. Look at the people that win the lottery. How does it work for them? Just destroys them. Drug abuse, divorce, wild behavior of every kind. They're just nuts. They just fall apart. Because they have way too much money for their character. And some of us are wondering why God doesn't give us some more money. Because every time he does, you fail a test. And he's not stupid. And when you finally learn your lesson, they'll be in a different flow in your life. That's just the truth. God is our provider. He's our source. He sees these things. Patience. A faith, uh, Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessing. See that? But he who makes haste to be rich will, go, will not go unpunished. It's a sin. There's trouble there. God's road is gradual. It develops slowly over time like a plant. He allows our character to mature so that the abundance will not corrupt us. And frankly, we generally grow in the hard times, not the easy times. Development of our personal character determines the amount of resources God can trust to us. When people of low character suddenly become rich, it destroys them. It is not wrong to be rich. In fact, some of you, God wants to be rich. I mean, you know, this sounds like a... He has people that will have inordinate amount of ability to make money. What you have been called to undoubtedly is the ministry of giving. And he's equipping you for your ministry. Now what that requires is that someplace along the thing you redline your life. You say, this is enough. And God is a generous God. He's not asking us to live some sort of miserable life. I need a house, I need some cars, I need clothes, and da 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 but, but what you don't do is simply let your lifestyle just keep swelling with your income. You, at some point you say, enough. One of the models for me, is, I, I, man, his life just, I never got away from it. As a man by the name of Ralph Winter. He was a professor at Fuller Seminary when I was there in missions. And Ralph had come off the mission field with his wife and he, he was a brilliant professor. He, I don't think he's still alive running the thing called the American Center for World Mission or something like that. But he and his wife, Fuller paid his professors the highest salary of any seminary in the nation. I mean, these guys were really being paid well. And he's, he, he and his wife decided we are going to live the same lifestyle we lived on the mission field. And everything else we give to the Lord. So he's living this simple, humble life while all of the money is being given to the Lord. And he just, he was, he, he was just prophetic to me. I saw this guy and he just, I couldn't get away from his example. It's just a point where you redline and say, enough is enough. Generosity. The Bible says, one who is generous to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. God is simply generous with those who are generous. He is generous with those who are generous. Some people squawk, do I have to tithe? I don't know. No, you don't. Do you want to be blessed or not? I mean, it's up to you. I'm serious. You don't have to. You can go to heaven without tithing. You're saved by faith in Christ. 
but would you like the blessing of God? You say, that's Old Testament stuff, tithing. You're right. The New Testament would say you can give a lot more now. <laughs> it would. You know perfectly well it would never in the world say you give less than the law required. That you who are now full of the Spirit and free in Christ would now give less than the Old Testament required of Israel? I don't think so. God is generous with those who are generous. Do you know how much you give as a church? Now, this is going to sound like boasting, but it's your money. You, first of all, you, give, you tithe right off the top. You tithe what we, what we receive. Second of all, you give 6% of the gross to missions right off the top. And then you give benevolence. And then there's some other things added into there. Last year, you gave nearly a half a million dollars away. Now that's nuts, isn't it? What are we thinking? Are we crazy? I mean, you could carpet the foyer with a half a million dollars. We've still got all kinds of unfinished projects. I mean, you could, you could spend it on yourself. Why would you do that? Why would you give to all these missionaries in Papua New Guinea and wherever in the world that you're given? Why would you do that? Why would you give to help plant churches in America and do all the things that you're doing? God is generous, but those are generous. When we planted the church in Tempe, Arizona, first offering, I mean first offering, I took the tithe off and we began to have a mission project to help the, uh, the Foursquare Church in South Phoenix. First, right off the bat. We planted the church in October. We were having a, no we were having a Thanksgiving food drive by November. Why? I know these principles. And I, kept, I was planning a church with, I didn't know a living soul in the state of Arizona. Not a living soul. And I, I'm out looking for a job and by Christmas, I don't need a job. Why? These things work. I'm telling you, they work for your life. They work. There is a God in heaven. He is a blessing God. He's a providing God. He's a faithful God. And he will be with you as well. I'm not trying to boast in, in us. I'm not, isn't, aren't we wonderful? I think we ought to be doing more. We're going to do more. We've got an above and beyond fund now that's pumping out even more. I think you're going to raise about $350,000 out of that this year. Isn't that fun? Hallelujah. Simplicity. Finding our deepest fulfillment in God. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We must guard our hearts against greed. Wealth and things have a drawing power. They're like a drug. They're addictive. We must keep our needs in perspective. How can we consume it all on ourselves when so many in the world are naked and starving? With my children, every one of them, we, we hit this thing where we had to have these labels on our clothes. You had to have certain tennis shoes. You had to have certain jeans. You had to have certain shirts, certain jackets. And all of them cost a million dollars apiece. You can't just have jeans or shoes. You've got to have this kind of jeans and this kind of shoes. Well, you can't win that argument. They all run around, you know, going at you. And, and um, <laughs> course, what we did is we took each one of them to the third world nation on the mission trip. And then they go out and they see thousands of children with nothing more than the rags on their back and bare feet. And then they get to know these kids and like them. And then they come home, and suddenly it's a moot question. Just isn't a discussion. It seems so stupid to be worrying about the labels on your shoes when a third of the world is going to bed tonight hungry. Doesn't it? We just need to redline our lives somewhere. Say, I got enough. Right in here is enough. And I'm going to put my treasure in heaven. That means people. For God. That's what that means. I, we have, I do have a new car now. I got a new Subaru. But I got an old one too. It's a, it's a 1987. You see that old beater? I love the thing. It, it, it's an 87 Subaru. There are pastors who drive ex enormous, expensive automobiles. And what they generally are saying is, if you follow my teachings, you too can have this gross right. 
expensive vehicle, right? It's like Amway, you know? I mean, it's, it's a marketing technique. They're saying, it works for me, it'll work for you, you know? You too can have a swimming pool in the shape of a diamond or whatever. I am trying to actually model something. We live reasonably simple lives. I got the money. I could buy another car. I don't. Because I actually want to make a statement too. I want to say what you drive doesn't matter. And I want to say what your kind of house you live in doesn't matter. That's not who you are. It's not who I am. It's not who you are. Who you are is a son of God. A daughter of God. You got a call in your life. And that's what matters. That's who you are. And some of you God will bless because he, he's going to raise you up and you're going you're to get a lot of money you have to process. And some of you are frankly going to be tent makers. You're called into the ministry and you're going to have a job and all that is is to put money on the, uh, food on the table. Because your real call and your definition is, is something else he has you to do. And that old 87 Subaru gets me home and back every time, just about. <laughs> Did leave my, my wife on the freeway not too long ago. But, and it may get to a point where I have to replace that thing. But, but do you get the point? Simplicity. Simplicity. There's something lovely about people who are content and whose definition and values and purpose in life is not simply ever increasing wealth. What a freedom. What a freedom to live for God, to live for people, to have fun in life, not simply servicing this financial thing. And finally, hope. Abraham's our wonderful model for hope. Though he was a wealthy man, and he was, wasn't he? He was one of the wealthy, wealthy tribal chieftains of his day. He held God's gifts with an open hand. More than anything else, he wanted to live eternally with God. Hebrews 11, you, I've read it to you many times, but it's so powerful, I just love it. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance. This was his. God gave him this place. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And then by faith he lived as an alien. That means a stranger, a visitor in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham had his treasure in heaven. So he had thousands of flocks. He had hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people that called him their chief. He could put together 300 armed men and go to war. This guy's got money and he's got power. And he could care less. Said his longing was that he might live in that city eternally with God. And do you notice what he didn't do? He camped in the land God gave him. He never built a city. You don't have an Abrahamville. Metro Abraham. <laughs> he didn't do that. Didn't go there. Because he says, this is passing through. This is fading away. I want to be with you. And so that's the kind of heart. That man or woman with hope is the kind of heart that God can entrust great riches to. Spiritually and sometimes financially as well. Because you're trustworthy. Because your heart's set on it. You know what this stuff is. It's just money. It's just money. Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and rich and all, and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. God wants us to have enough. He was a generous God. He wants to prosper us and provide for us. And he does it very wonderfully. We're clothed better than the lilies of the field, and they're, they're more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory. So he's not stingy, but he wants our hearts fixed in the right direction. Father, we ask for your mighty grace upon us. 
Lord, where the world has encroached and where the love of things or, the, or even the com comp competitiveness of somehow needing to prove ourselves by, by money has come in, forgive us. And free us from that thing. Free us from those chains. Just break them off of us, Lord. And we would ask for a heart like Abraham. With our eyes fixed on eternity. And this world in perspective. Help us keep our focus there, Lord. And then teach us, Lord, as we live out these principles of honesty and simplicity, of generosity and faith. As we learn to live with you and obey you, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your abundance. Thank you that we have no reason to be afraid. We're your children. You will surely provide for us. We love you, Lord. We trust you in any place now, any place where we have turned to some kind of dishonesty or theft, where we've grown impatient, where things have crept into our hearts, we simply deny that thing. We will not serve wealth. We will serve the living God. And in doing so, know that you are our source, our faithful provider, and that you will bless us above and beyond what we would ask or think. We love you. You're a great and living God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray it. Now, if somebody today, you may have really, the Holy Spirit, through the word, spoke to you. As you say amen to that prayer of mine, would you mean it especially? Just say, Lord, I'm letting go of something. Or we got something, we got some business to tend to, I know. Just as you say amen, that would be a, a commitment to do so. Otherwise, just don't, don't say it. Because it's really, you're not, you're not there yet. But if, if you're ready to, to, to agree fully, now maybe you are in obedience, or maybe you're choosing to be in obedience with, with the Lord in your finances, would you just say amen? Amen. Lord, hear us. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.